it's really good to have a start that way. You know, start with the, uh, the centering us on Jesus and singing to him and singing about the things that he's done for us. And uh, you really couldn't ask for a better way to start. So my name is Phil Zito. I'm one of the elders here, and I get the privilege of preaching uh, this morning. I'm not the normal teaching pastor. That would be Josh Causey. Um, him, another one of our staff members, Megan Kelly, and then another one of our members, Debbie Haltom, are out of town this weekend. I want to take just a second to tell you what they're doing because I think it's really incredible. They are um, in Minnesota, and this weekend they taught at a conference called the Just Faith Summit. And what this was is a conference where pastors and teachers from around the country would gather together to hear more about sex trafficking and how they could address it back home in their local communities. So what Josh and Meg and Debbie did is they taught a breakout session at this conference, and they wrote some material called A Survivor's Guide to Surviving the Bible. And so what they've done is they've gone through and taken uh, some of the more difficult passages in Scripture for someone who's gone through something like that, and they've broken it down and explained the real truth and meaning behind it. So one example of something that they did is they took uh, the Scripture that comes out of Corinthians, and it says uh, that you were bought with a price. So could you see how that would be really tough for someone who's literally been sold into slavery to have Jesus, you know, to have um, this concept of you being bought with a price? But that's not what Jesus was getting at. He didn't buy you to put you into slavery. He bought it. With his blood, he bought us to free us, right? So they've gone through and they've taken so many scriptures and they've unpacked the simple truths that Jesus was really getting at. And then they taught this to pastors. And now there's over 400 copies of this book circulating around the country right now as these people take it to uh, their local community. So we're just really proud of them and really thankful that they have the opportunity to go do that. And I think there's even going to be another book coming later. Uh, quick note about who I am and my family. I have been married to my wife, Lauren, now for seven years. And we have two wonderful little girls. Emma is three, and Emma is uh, everything princess. She, uh, she wears dresses 24-7. Like, seriously, that's how we have to punish her is by making her wear, like, a t-shirt and pants. Uh, and she knows all the songs that have uh, princesses in them, all the words. You have to find her one day and get her to sing them for you. She knows them. And Olivia, our one-year-old, is uh, not a princess. She is a uh, I was trying to think of a word to describe her, and so many flooded into my mind, like tornado, wrecking ball, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, she's hilarious, and she likes to do the opposite of everything that we tell her to do already at one, uh, especially at dinner time when it comes down to, like, feeding the dog under the table. She really does it every single dinner. Uh, so they're really, they're really great, though. I have been coming to Living Hope now since 2006. That was, uh, back then was before we were called Living Hope. That's whenever we were called The Ring. And then we met in the gym at Parkview. And now I'm in my second year of being an elder here on a three-year term. So what are we talking about this morning? How did I land here? Um, A few weeks ago, whenever Josh asked me to teach and because he'd be out of town. I didn't really have a sermon ready to go like a normal good pastor was. I've been sick this whole week, so by the way... uh, the snot, it's all there. So safe place. Might be doing some of this stuff, you know. Uh, but John was like, man, I got you covered if you can't do it. You know, so John had it, had it ready to go. But I did not have something ready to go. Uh, so a few days later, we were here on a Sunday morning praying for Chase and Jess Whitney and the Zachary Church plant that we're doing. And we were down here praying for them. And Josh asked us that we would pray for them the same things that we would want prayed over ourselves if we were in that same moment. 
and going and doing those next things. So um, I found myself praying that Chase would not be filled with worry and anxiety to have to create the exact picture of what this plant was supposed to look like. Because Jesus is the one who started the plant a long time ago, and Jesus is the one who created the whole thing in the first place. And so what Chase has to do is follow along Jesus' leading, and he's going to show Chase what that looks like, but not to be filled with the worry of having to come up with that is. And then it kind of hit me that maybe we're in a little bit of the same boat with this whole merger and all that kind of stuff, um, and maybe that's what God had in mind for us today, is that as our two churches have uh, joined together, that we wouldn't have to worry about making this perfect, because it was his idea in the first place, right? And he's the one leading the whole show. Uh, and he's been doing this throughout all of history. He's been the one who's written the story, and he's been the one revealing his plan. And all his people have to do is follow along with what he's doing. So this morning, we're going to focus in on just a few scriptures that help us hopefully see uh, God's redemptive story. But maybe we're going to see how it's a different story than what the people then were imagining. And maybe it's still the same to, with us today. So we're going to go ahead and turn to John chapter 2. That's John chapter 2. It'll be on the screens as well if you don't have a Bible with you. We're going to be starting in verse 13. I should probably grab it as well. So John chapter 2, starting in 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. And the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the disciples said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So, quick word about this story. Uh, It happens at two spots in the Bible, um, and there's a little bit of controversy over whether or not it happened two separate times, because John has it in the beginning of his gospel, but then the other gospels have it towards the end. So there's a little bit of controversy on whether or not it, again, happened here and then again later, if it's the same story told twice. But from all the commentaries that I can read and the other points in history that we can see, it seems like it was two separate times, and that this is the first um, and that this, in that the time right here now with John is um, the first time that he does this. Um, so we're going to be talking about how this was kind of Jesus's first big public display. Up to his life, he had, up to this point in his life, he'd stayed pretty quiet. Um, he had been doing some things. There were uh, some things that he had done with being baptized and some of those kinds of things. And then even at the miracle with the water to wine. But all of those things were smaller, smaller uh, circles. And they weren't really meant to show the big public display that he was going to make here. He even said that at the water to wine. He said that his time had not yet come. So this is the time that he comes and makes his display of who he is. 
So why do it like this? And I wonder if it's different than what the people were thinking it was going to be. Because we know now that it was completely different than where they were thinking it was going to be. So what were they thinking that it was going to be? Up to this point uh, in time, right now where Jesus is, the Jews were being severely oppressed by the Romans. They were being heavily taxed just over and over and over again because the, uh, the Romans lived super luxurious lifestyles. And as those lifestyles increased in luxury, so did the taxes. Then if the Jews couldn't pay back their taxes, then they had to borrow money or they had to borrow food from Rome. And those interest rates were just insane. Um, sometimes ranging, I read, from 25% up to like 100% interest. And then if they couldn't pay those back, sometimes I read that the Romans would force them to sell their children as uh, debt slaves. Sometimes they would come in and take over the people's uh, houses and land and then make them work the land with only keeping a small portion of it. And so it was just, it was just a ton of oppression from the Romans. But through all of this, God was coming in and saying through prophets that a Messiah is coming and that he's going to come and deliver you. And so I'm sure that they were thinking that he was going to be coming um, to take over the oppression. But the Jews weren't just oppressed from the outside. They were also oppressed from within. So this brings us to the scene that we just read in John, kind of the Passover. So at the Passover, um, the people would come in from all around the countryside because they had to do Passover once a year. But sometimes they lived like 90 miles away. And they couldn't really bring these animals that they were required to bring because the journey was just too much. So it was okay. Then they would buy some of these animals that they would then take in for the sacrifice. And that's fine. But what was happening was with the exchange rates of the money, because these people lived all around in different countries, they had to exchange their currency for temple currency. And those exchange rates, kind of like the taxes, were just really, really high and unfair. And sometimes the Jews would borrow money from the temple to pay for this, just so they could actually do the sacrifice. Sometimes they couldn't afford to do this, and they wouldn't borrow and I read somewhere that it said that the, the slums of Jerusalem were filled with people who couldn't pay back their debts. And sometimes they couldn't even go in and do it. They couldn't afford it. Or if they would afford to buy the animal, sometimes a priest would deem it unclean, and they would have to go buy another animal. And then they couldn't afford to do that the second time around. So they weren't even allowed to go in and, and to do it. Um, so let's go back to John 2 and let's see the scene that Jesus arrives on and what they were expecting and then how Jesus does something different. So in those moments where he removed the merchants from the temple, he didn't really gently ask them to stop what they're doing and to leave. You know, it's not, this isn't right. You guys need to get out of here. Instead, what he does is he makes a whip and he starts flipping over these giant tables with money going everywhere, and he's screaming, and he's chasing them out. And he's saying, get out of here. And I would think that in those moments that that was really loud, actually. You know, these giant tables hitting the stone floor. I'm trying to think about how loud this is, and, you know, maybe flipping uh, the folding tables in the fellowship hall, or if you're back at home, bowling crawfish, and you have those folding tables under your carport, and you start, like, flipping them over. Uh, People would ask you to probably stop because it was super annoying and loud. But this was way worse. Jesus is chunking these tables and making a big scene with what he's doing here. And I think in those moments that I wonder if some of the people, some of those Jews who had been under all that oppression from from the outside and from within, I wonder if they saw what Jesus was doing and maybe they thought, all right, here we go. It's happening. You know, this is this might be the guy. 
And uh, they're like, okay, he's going to take his sword out. He's going to start taking some guards down. And uh, he's going to take over. And then they probably would have noticed he didn't have a sword on him. So then they're probably thinking maybe he would use that whip. You know, start hitting people, uh, wrap some people up with it. I don't know what they were thinking. But uh, maybe that he would still take over the whole thing. And then when he didn't do that, the merchants and the people that he was doing all that stuff to, I would imagine that they then ran up to him to probably jump him, maybe wrap him up, take him down because of what he was doing. And then I think that they probably would have seen who he really was. And uh, they might have stopped just a little bit short of trying to grab him because I think he was probably pretty intense in this moment. Maybe they would have taken just a few steps back and said, you've got to tell us why you're doing this, basically. And then those same people who thought that he was going to get him with the sword, maybe they thought that he was going to declare a public uh, declaration of taking over Rome or he's going to finally end this oppression, all this kind of stuff. But what did he say whenever they asked him to show him a sign? He said that he was, the temple was going to be destroyed and it's going to be rebuilt in three days. And I think he probably pointed at himself when he did that. Uh, and then those same people who thought that he was... Uh, maybe going to take over, maybe whenever he said that, they're like, oh no, this isn't the one. Because that's crazy. Because you can't destroy this entire temple, because that's what they thought he was talking about. right? They thought he was talking about this entire massive structure, that he was going to destroy the whole thing and then brick by brick rebuild it in three days. And they said, there's no way that that's possible. This guy is crazy. That can't happen. But the text says that Jesus was referring not to the structure but to his body and it was a future picture of the cross so i mentioned that some of those prophets had been declaring ahead of time what jesus was going to come do what the messiah was really going to come and do so let's go ahead and turn to malachi chapter three again if you don't you don't have to turn to it we're going to read one verse it'll be on the screens again malachi three three and i think it'll help us unpack a little bit more of what jesus was really doing here Okay, so Malachi 3, verse 3. It said that he, meaning the Messiah to come, will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. So if this was a prophecy about what the Messiah was going to come do, it describes who he is and what he's about. So it uses words, uh, it says that he is going to sit and refine and purify. So what does refine and purify mean? So refine basically means to remove impurities or unwanted elements. And then to purify means to make clean. And so at the very end of the passage with John, it said that he was referring to his body and not the structure. So we see now when Jesus died on the cross for us, He took away the guilt of our sin, right? That's the refining that Malachi is talking about. And he removed the darkness that our sin held onto us. And then he made us clean in the sight of God. And that's the purifying that Malachi is talking about. And it's kept thinking about that over and over and over again. Just this cleaning and the the refining and the purifying, the refining and the purifying. And I was thinking, I was like, why didn't he explain this to them more thoroughly? Why did he do what he did instead of just telling them what he was going to do? And then it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks 
that rather than explain to them in his very first big public thing, I don't think it would have made sense to them if he would have tried to explain this whole big picture. I think he showed them a picture of what the cross is going to look like. Um, so after the temple was cleansed, that's a picture of our future sin being gone. Remember, he cleared everyone out kind of fiercely, you know, lion and the lamb trample over death kind of moment, cleared them all out. But then what was standing there at the very end of it? Jesus was standing there. Instead of seeing the corruption that was there before, they saw Jesus. They saw their future sacrifice and their future savior. So Jesus' first big outward act was to show them a picture of the redemption that was going to come. Show them his true mission. He was showing them basically that I'm here to flip the tables on the sin and the corruption in your life. And I'm going to be the one to replace what was there. I'm going to become that by being the sacrifice that you really need. He was saying that he knows that they've been oppressed for so long. He said that some of them have not even been able to come and see the Father because of the sin that stood in their way with the exchange rates and all that kind of stuff that went on with that. I think he was saying that I'll take you to him. He's like, I know the way. I'm going to die and I'm going to be rebuilt. And after that, there's going to be a new temple, a new way to truly experience the Father. Remember he said, destroy the temple and rebuild it. That's him. And that was the way that we were really going to see the Father. You won't need to go through this process anymore because I'm going to be the one who's a sacrifice for you. So when I was reading this, uh, kind of putting this all together and seeing what Malachi had to say about the refining, the purifying of sitting in a coffee shop, just kind of typing this out earlier this week. And I was just really grateful for the way that Jesus didn't try and throw a bunch of words at the scene, but he acted it out in a really big and public way. And it, was just, it really was just hitting me kind of like a ton of bricks. And I'm in this coffee shop typing this all out. And I was like, don't cry. Don't cry right now. Just keep going. Keep typing. Drink your coffee. Uh, Chandler was there at Lighthouse Coffee. And he was probably watching me. He would have been laughing at me. Yeah, I see him nodding. Uh, so this is the story of our salvation, right? That Jesus came in the world to show us our corruption that kept us from the Father. And then he removed what was there and stood in its place. It wasn't at all the story that they were expecting because the one they were expecting wouldn't have worked. What if Jesus had come and done a big uh, takeover, the big political takeover, you know, battled Rome and all that kind of stuff? It still wouldn't have worked because we would still be living under the same oppression and slavery to our, our own sinfulness. His way was better than they could have ever hoped or imagined for. And then right before the end of his life in, um, in John chapter 17, it's an entire chapter of Jesus praying to the Father. And in those moments, Jesus is praying to God and he's saying that I've accomplished the work that you sent me to do. And then he goes on to say that that work was to give eternal life through the knowledge of God. Not just people knowing stories about God or not just people knowing facts about God, but like really knowing and having a saving relationship with God. So Jesus at the very end was saying that this is what I spent my whole life doing was giving people the knowledge and helping them to connect with you. And then after Jesus was died and resurrected, you know, it's the Great Commission. We've heard this a million times. He told the disciples to go and tell this to everyone. And we're a product of that here today. We're here because of people telling people telling people. And we're going to keep following Jesus in that same mission. 
And this is a mission that he started a long time ago. And even though it was different than what the people thought, it's not different than what the Lord thought. The Lord wrote the whole thing in the beginning. And he knows the whole thing. And he's just been playing it out with us the whole time. So remember in the very beginning when I said that I was praying for Chase and for Zachary and then for us about not having to be the ones to try and invent or create what this work was going to look like? Because Jesus is the one creating and leading it because it's the story that he's written so long ago. My main goal with trying to do that was to try and find a passage in the Bible that showed us the massiveness of what Jesus has done for us so that then we could take that passage in scripture and then apply it to who we are and what we're going through today. So what do we think here at Living Hope Fellowship in Sherwood? Do we still see the story that God has written for us? And I was thinking more and more about this story and uh, just all that kind of stuff. I'm a very picture-oriented guy. It helps me understand stuff better. And I was thinking about it in terms of books because you read stories in books. Right? Yeah? Makes sense. Okay. Um, have you ever read a series of books that went from like one to the other, like, I don't know, Lord of the Rings or something like that? So you have multiple back-to-back-to-back. Uh, normally, the book, one book will end with a really big climactic scene. The whole book builds up to it. It's really big and awesome. And then what do you do when that book's done? You sometimes grab the next book and pick it up and immediately start reading. And maybe no one else does this, but when I start reading the next book in a series, I sometimes expect it to be exactly like the one it was before and to pick up exactly where the other one left off. And uh, like I want it to be like the last sentence of the last page of the previous book and just kind of keep reading to the first sentence of this new one, and I want it to look the exact same. But sometimes you start the new book, and instead of starting with that scene... What does it do? A lot of times they introduce new characters. And then it starts unfolding their storylines, and you kind of start getting to know what they're all about. And maybe you left the other book just blazing, reading like a million words a minute, but then you start picking this new one up, and you, you kind of start slowing down a little bit, really focusing in on what the new book has to say about these new characters. So maybe this is a little bit confusing. <laughs> Hopefully not, but maybe it's a little bit confusing. But I think this story talks about us and what we're doing here. If Sherwood and Living Hope were both books, those books have finished, right? They closed. And they ended so strong. And we were so excited to start this new book that God has written for us. And now that we're into it just a little ways, I don't want us to do what I always do with those fiction books. I don't want us to... uh, to get discouraged because the books have changed? Because the overall story has not changed book to book. Even though it's a little bit of a different part, the same theme is still going on. And that's what we're here for. We're the same people doing the same things, but now we have new faces and new helping hands. And I feel like the Lord is telling us to actually notice the differences and what these two things look like as compared to the way that they look now. And to help those and let those differences actually not have us to lose heart, but to take hope in the fact that it's a, maybe a different book, but it's the same author and it's the same message. The leaders here are paying attention to the Lord, and we know that you are too, because you wouldn't be here if you weren't. If you didn't care about it, then why would you even come? 
So we're not the ones who have to worry and create the details of what's happening here because we believe that God joined us together for a reason and that he's the one who has big plans for us. He's the one who's going to show us how to do this and what it's supposed to look like. Jesus would not have done all that he did to come and save us and redeem us and give us connection with God to then just leave us on our own. So what is our vision here at Living Hope? Uh, Well, our website says that um, it is, that's Living Hope. You can go there, figure it out, Google it. Leading people to a more intimate relationship with God for His glory. I'll read it again. Leading people to a more intimate relationship with God for His glory. Remember how I talk about that prayer that Jesus read in John 17? And how he was saying that the work that he came to do was to give the people the knowledge of God so that they could then have a relationship with God. That's what we're going to keep doing. Jesus said that he did that, and that's the work that we're going to continue going for. We want everyone in this room to have an intimate relationship with God. And we want everyone outside those doors to have an intimate relationship with God. That's what Josh and Meg and Debbie are doing right now. Well, they did it yesterday. They are giving people the message of God so that they could then take it to their, uh, to their uh, communities. And now people all across our country have the same message that Jesus came for you and that he loves you and that he died for you. We understand that it takes a little time to build momentum and to start feeling like a real family because we believe that God has given us a plan uh, to go forward And we know that God knows that sometimes things just take a while. God's not rushing things. He knows these things take some time sometimes. So I think he's given us a plan, given us some next steps to help us to feel more like a a community, help us to feel more like a family. Some of those we're doing on Wednesday night with community groups. We're doing community groups this summer different than we've ever done them. You know, a lot of times we'll bring, we'll do summer community groups in a fellowship hall, have dinner. um, And there's different ways that we've done it in the past, but we've never done it the way we're doing it now with intentionally mixing people up every single week so that you can't sit with the same people week after week after week hearing the same exact stories over and over and over again. What we're trying to do is to help us feel more like a family by knowing each other's stories. We're going through scripture and then basically saying, so what do you think about that? Do you have any experience doing that? What's your life looked like up to this point? And we're slowly connecting the dots together and slowly feeling more like a family. And then we're going to keep that going in the fall with new community groups. We've got a bunch of community groups right now, but we're going to start some new ones and hopefully connect more and more people together. And then this summer, we're also going to do our very first children's VBS. That's going to be pretty awesome in summer youth camp. And we have a pretty awesome kitchen in there that I think we can put some good use to. And that's just some of the new stuff. There's things that we've never stopped doing from what they were before, the two churches were before. We haven't stopped doing breakfast in the park. We haven't stopped doing the men's shelter. We haven't stopped sending missionaries locally and abroad. We haven't stopped supporting Hope of Life in India. We haven't stopped the WMU meetings. We haven't stopped our encounter Sunday school classes here on Sunday mornings. And we haven't stopped the nursing home ministry on Flannery. So that's the corporate message that I think this has for us, that God has written a story that we're all involved in. And it's worth it to keep pressing into these first few chapters of this new book because we're already starting to gain momentum and I really feel like the pace is quickening already. And remember that God's story is always different than what it looked like to the people. 
It wasn't different to what God thought. He wasn't thrown off by the story that was playing out. But it was a little bit different to us. Because his story is always filled with his goodness and his grace. And it's really the same message for us individually. I think if each one of us looked at our lives and really honestly assessed what's going on and kind of where we're at, I think there would probably be some points of your life that you would look at and, and think that maybe it looked a little different than you thought it would at this point. Doesn't mean that you're a failure. Doesn't mean that you've been doing things wrong. Doesn't mean that God's forgotten about you or that he's off somewhere not paying attention to your circumstances. I think we can look back at these same scriptures and help to show us that Jesus is still actively paying attention to your life. If we look back at, um, if we look back at uh, the passage in, in Malachi, it says that he was sitting as the refiner and as the purifier. If you're sitting down doing something, really focusing on it, you're paying attention to it, right? Like if you get a splinter in your finger or something like that, it's easier if you sit down and pay attention to it. So Jesus isn't off. When it's describing what the Messiah was going to do, it says that he was going to come and sit down and he was going to pay attention to your life. You know, sometimes we start heading down a path of relying on our own strength or doing things our own way. And then sometimes we continue down that path. And then sometimes we get so far that we don't really know how to turn around. Or sometimes we are following him and we just don't see the full story quite yet. Whatever it is, you can ask him to help you trust that he is near and that he's paying attention and that he is always working, regardless if you see it or not. So let me quickly recap this whole thing before we close out and the band comes back up. Basically, God wrote a story that was completely different than what the people in Jesus' time thought it was going to be. They were expecting him to come and bring a certain type of rescue and redemption, but Jesus came with a different story to win a different kind of battle that really rescued and really provided the real redemption. Rather than telling them about the cross, And really explaining it in those first moments, Jesus showed us a picture of what the cross was going to be like. By flipping those tables, he was showing that he was going to pull out the sin that was in our lives and that he was going to be the one to stand in his place. He was going to replace the corruption with himself. And then we use that same story to help us hopefully notice the story that God is still writing here. And our churches have been joined together for a reason, even if there's a little bit of transition time. We're at the edge of finishing out that transition time. The momentum's going to start rolling. It takes all of us to do this. I think we're going to keep going. It's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And things are going to start feeling more like home every single week together. And then we looked finally at our individual lives. And we saw that Jesus is sitting and paying attention. That he's not far off doing something else. Distracted by a million different things. But he is watching your life. And he is always ready to flip the tables on the things that are weighing you down, the things that are causing you to trip up. And he's always saying, bring me into it, bring me into it. Because I want to help you with this and I want to I walk through this with you. So the band can go ahead and come on up as I close out. So we're going to do the same things that we do every single week. We're going to take some time to respond to maybe what Jesus is telling us in these moments. There's going to be several different ways we're going to do it. There's going to be some people down in front. 
ready to pray with you about anything that you want to pray about. If you're hearing this for the first time and you're realizing, like, you know, I don't think I've ever trusted Jesus. This whole, this whole time, I, I kind of thought he's a big show, big sham, you know, something like that. But I think I'm, I think I'm grabbing onto this. And you want to talk about that? Come and pray with us. We'd love to talk with you about that. Whatever it is. Or if you're in the situation saying, like, you know what, I'm, I feel like I've been walking so far on my own road and I don't really know how to turn around. I just want to pray about that. That's all it is. We'll just pray with you about anything you want to. There's also going to be some spots on the side where you can come and financially give to support what this church is doing. The steps here are always available for you to come and pray at. Sometimes it helps us to get out of our chair and come and kneel and pray. And then there's going to be Taylor and Heath, and they're going to be down here giving us communion. And it's the kind of communion where you grab the little piece of bread and you dip it in the juice. And as you take it, they're going to say the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ poured out for you. And when you do that, you're saying, like, Jesus, I want what you have for me. It's that simple. I believe that you are who you say you are, and I believe that you came for me to show me that you love me. And I'm going to take this to say that I'm following along with you. Anyone in this room can take that. It doesn't matter. And then we're also going to be singing these songs to just thank the Lord for who he is and for what he's done and to notice how he's always ahead of us, always leading us and guiding us and always cheering us along. So you can pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. And thank you for writing a story that is different than we thought it was going to be. We thought the story was going to be just about us, but you showed us about you and your love for us. And you came to redeem us from something that we could never escape. And you didn't just redeem us and save us from that. You connected us to yourself. You continually give us the peace of your love, which is just the connection and the bond to you. We pray that in these moments that you would help us to feel that peace. Help us to feel your love for us. Help us to see you standing there. Help us to ask you for the things that are tripping us up right now. Because we know that you're going to pull those things out of our life and you're going to work with us and that you're going to be the one who's standing there in this place. Jesus, we love you so much and we're so grateful for who you are. We cannot do this without you. We're so excited to be here in this building celebrating you together, getting to know one another's stories and continuing the work that you started a long time ago. We love you, Jesus, so much. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Table's open.